what resulted with the advent of technology and social media was further reinforcing that life in every moment should be maximized. And what I mean by that is like, no second should be wasted. If you're having a coffee, it should be the best coffee of your life. Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women podcast, where I sit down for candid conversations with women who are experts in their field and share their specific knowledge so that we can become better equipped to handle all things motherhood. Juna Women is an extension of Juna, a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do at Juna is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today, I'm talking to Kara Hardin about a topic she's seeing more and more in her work as a mental health and performance therapist. This idea that everything has to be perfect all the time. We dive into this and explore how having your shit together as a mom is 100% not the norm, and Kara shares some of her tips on overcoming this feeling that we're not doing enough. I hope you enjoy. Kara, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast again. So thank you so much for joining me. I'm really happy to be back. I am. Thanks, Sarah. For new listeners, Kara has been on this podcast in a number of different fashions. Most recently, she, and not so recently, it's almost two years ago now, (laughs) interviewed my husband and I right after we gave birth to our third and last child, and she facilitated a wonderful conversation. But I'll let Kara introduce herself because this today's conversation is going to be very different, work-oriented. That's so I'm laughing at, uh, I'll introduce myself. I promise that yes. Sarah's the third and last <laughs> child. I just, <laughs> just solidify that. Just like in case anyone, just like third and last. Anyone like, wondering. Mom of two and no more. And no, and no more. I think there's a, you were hitting Sarah in a very particular parenting <laughs> moment. Exactly. <laughs> very particular moment. Besides being a dear friend to Sarah Fixler Kuhn, I am a registered psychotherapist and mental health educator. I'm a former practicing corporate and securities lawyer. And I specialize in the intersection between performance and mental health. And I actually asked to talk to Sarah today, as opposed to previously when she asked to me. It's a reciprocal friendship because I am seeing something more and more in my work that I wanted Sarah and each of your attention on. I don't think about it often in the context of parenthood, but I think it's here. And one of the things that I like to do is see patterns and themes and then share them with people so I can learn more about them. So it's a very way of saying, I'm actually asking all of you for a very big favor. <laughs> I want to hear, I want to talk about what I'm seeing and then hear all of your thoughts about it. And I really appreciate it in advance your listening and engaging with something that's occupying a lot of my brain and energy these days. It's also occupying a lot of our brain and energy these days. So I I think to make it really succinct or very clear, Kara and I were having our monthly catch up last week and and I was asking about how her work was going and she was bringing up like what being a high performer is and how that impacts our mental health. And it just makes me think about us as mothers or us as parents and how it can be really stressful when you feel like you're not performing 
as in your role as a parent and literally every day there you're confronted with massive failure. I don't know another mom. I, li- I literally, unless like I don't know her well, she will present herself as having it all together. But like when you're talking to your friends, like there is at least, I don't know, 65 things that happen each day where I'm like, my God, I'm the worst parent in the world. (laughs) What is going, oh, I really got that wrong. I think like parenthood is so confronting in that way because you see, you get like a really fast feedback loop. And that's not also not like a great term because it's not like it's that feedback loop is actually not representative of the change that you are implementing at home. And I think like for- me and many mothers, parents listening to this podcast feel the same. It's like, I'm making these changes, but none of these changes are showing up. And so what am I doing here? I'm used to performing in life. And so when we were talking about this, I said, Kara, I think you need to come on the podcast and we need (laughs) to talk about this a little bit because I like, we talk about mental health and we talk about postpartum depression and we talk about those like very specific things, but we do not talk about how having like exercising the mental health muscle can help you perform better in your home. And so totally, Kara. <laughs> please. And I appreciate the context. I want to even back up a bit and be more specific about what I mean when I say like a high achiever or a high performer, because it's a really, it's a particular profile. And so what I'm talking about is I think the vast majority of people under, and I hate, I'm going to use a lot of generalizations and this is where I need your feedback because I think the exceptions prove the rule and I'm, I need more eyes and ears and variety in my thinking. But I'm thinking about like the generation under 45 who grew up really feeling like achievement was externalized. So what I mean by that was success equals good grades, success equals achieving the trophy, the degree, and it doesn't even have to be academic. It can be like whatever was valuable as told to you by parents, society, and all of these mechanisms, none of which were located inside of you. So we grew up wanting to reach for value that was extrinsic to us, coupled against a background of like economic insecurity, gross social, racial, cultural injustices, like all of that complicated history. And what resulted with the advent of technology, we're getting really deep into it. We're getting really deep into the. But what resulted with the advent of technology and social media was further reinforcing that life in every moment should be maximized. And what I mean by that is like, no second should be wasted. If you're having a coffee, it should be the best coffee of your life. And if you have a half hour on Saturday, you should be feeling so good about having that half hour. And whatever job you're doing, you've got to be passionate about it. And every second you're parenting, like you must love it. The book, (laughs) you must love it, but you must read the books and have a position. And are you sleep training or aren't you sleep training? And are you doing snacks or aren't you doing what is your position? It's got to be articulated and full and purposeful and passionate. And it has resulted in a profoundly burnt out, low, self-assured, questioning, existentially lost. Like the people I work with, there is this, who am I? And what do I want to be when I grow up? Even though we're grown, we're grown. Am I doing it right? And am I enough? And what does enough mean? 
And there was one other part of this context that I'd even mentioned, which was that the pandemic messed all of this up even further. Because whereas before every second was accounted for by at least three different things, and we were letting someone down, the pandemic made it so it was obvious who letting down. They just came down and asked for Smarties. They just came down or it was like the calling. So what I saw in the last two years was an increase in anxiety. And when I say anxiety, I mean that vague sense of fear that something isn't quite right. I don't mean necessarily the clinical, like a generalized anxiety disorder. I think it's been fairly clear that across all metrics, instances of mental illness have increased. I've seen an increase and I've seen like this profound reprioritization where this group of people who have always externally navigated the world, meaning my value comes from something outside of me, turned inwards and said, but what do I want? And then they come to me because they have no idea how to answer that question. I'm always drawing these parallels to like how we raise our kids. And it even brings up the the question of praise, right? Like when you're teaching your kids to look out, like praise is essentially like teaching your kids to look outwards instead of inwards. And I think like I have been conditioned as a 38 year old or however old I am, 38 37. I'm exactly 38 and I'm very happy. Yeah, I look forward to the day when I'm 50, 60. You know, Sarah knows I am delighted to age. Get me to elder status as soon as possible. And Eric too. So you and him are well on that track. <laughs> but I think like it's looking inward is definitely a new thing for me because I have always been so, like many people listening and like you're describing all the people that you see have been extrinsically motivated, even like to the point where I'm like, Unless I do something, is my dad really happy for me or proud of me? Even though that's so silly, but obviously something happened there with the way that we were raised that I think that I need to perform in order to please. And that's, it's shitty, but I feel like that's also, I'm not teaching, I'm trying not to teach my kids that, but but is that how I feel? I don't know. This is, I think what I sit with, and I'm really nodding Because what I see is that there's actually a profound paradox that sits at the heart of this engagement, which is how is it possible to be internally incredibly ambitious and driven and motivated, which essentially means wanting to be more, wanting to be more of yourself, wanting to put more of yourself in the world And in some ways, as you're saying, developmentally, that could be like wanting to please. That could be wanting to externally, like whatever tick tick the boxes are. How do we want to be more and still exist in the world, in particular for women, the world of work, and be enough as we are? How is it that we can be ambitious and recognize when we've made a mistake and also be enough? How is it that we can contribute and set a boundary? How is it that we can hold a to-do list that is like, literally a treadmill. I don't even know why I bother crossing them off anymore. It's not giving me any amount of joy and also not feel trapped by it. This is the, it's a pair. This is hard because it's hard. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the premier app for every stage of motherhood with a 12-week trying-to-conceive plan and workouts, key nutrition information for every week of pregnancy and postpartum, plus six full video courses on birth prep, 
breastfeeding, newborn care, infant sleep, sleep from four to 12 months, and starting solids. The app is designed to be your number one companion from trying to conceive through your baby's first year of life. It also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises, pelvic floor prep, daily tips, and notes from me that are relevant to the exact things you are experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears and preventing the dreaded gestational Google mania, that sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. Juna is available for both iOS and Android. Just search Juna in the App Store or go to Juna.co. Again, that's Juna.co. The app is completely free to try for seven days, and if you decide it's not right for you, you can cancel any time within the first week. No questions asked. Download Juna today and get started. Now, back to the show. And then I think like just adding to that, it just, it feels like a little like the, those lists get longer when you become a parent, right? Like it's, and that feeling of not being enough is, becomes more when you're a parent. Like whenever you see what what you deem to be a failure, as in like your kid, like starting with your kid not sleeping through the night, you're like, this is my fault. What am I doing wrong? This is. And it's, you're either a successful parent or you're not, depending on how your kid is sleeping. And it's, it's really silly. And this, and you feel like that stuff is in your control. Yes. <laughs> it's, isn't it though? You're telling me it isn't. So this is like one of the first things that I've unlocked. Yeah. Or I think I've unlocked in terms of like, how do we slowly disentangle this really complicated web? And I like to think about it as like taking apart accountability and like brokenness okay existentially like wrongness and what I mean by that is if my kid isn't sleeping at night my first thought is how did I screw this up because typically what happens is my youngest for example she'll cry one night and I'll be like oh that's so out of character and I go to her immediately eight nights later I'm in her room 10 times a night and be like how are you two years old we're supposed to be done with this how did I not see this coming And so there's a difference between me saying, huh, I've been duped. Something that's happened here that's not working versus the place where a high achiever goes, which is I'm a bad mom. Mm -hmm. How did I let this happen? I'm broken. Like that personal, pervasive, permanent, what's wrong with me? And here's where I see it even more insidiously, because the example of sleeping, I don't really go existential on that, Mm -hmm. but I go existential. And truthfully, Sarah knows it's not parenting isn't a place where I where gets my tender places. Mm -hmm. It usually has to do for whatever reason. We can talk to I'll leave it my therapist for our next call. We'll just get real deep. For me, the places where I get existential have to do relationally, because I think that's so much of what I do with work. Whereas if I miss an opportunity with a potential client, I might go, oh, am I good at this? Am I good at this job? Mm -mm." And I don't see the, okay, I could have done like through these three things better and move on. I think because I'm so used to using external cues to tell me I did a good job. I think I obviously, and I don't think I didn't do a good job. I think I suck at this job. And what I make up about people who experience this in parenting is that it's really similar. Like all of a sudden, if your kid isn't eating, it's I'm a bad parent. And if your kid is struggling making friends, you're like, I have done something wrong that they're not socialized. I am a bad parent. And if you are choosing to work or choosing to be with kids instead of the opposite, 
you are failing. Like there is a difference, however, between being accountable for your choices and as an adult, knowing you're making like you didn't do as well as you could have on that call or you're choosing to be with your family at the expense of getting things done at work or vice versa and holding the complexity of that and feeling like you're broken. I So I relate to that so deeply. And now I, my question is, what do you say to someone who does that? What do you say to your lawyer who's for a mom that is going like, that's, I'm not performing. I'm broken. What do I do? Yes. Yes. So the very first thing, the very first thing that I try and hold on to in all of my work, especially with myself is you make sense. So the fundamental moving piece of a high performer is something's wrong with them. Like when something's uncomfortable, when something's distressing, when something's not going perfectly, AKA when there's a problem and life is just a series of problems. So all the time, the base assumption in ourselves is I'm doing something wrong. And so what I like to see first and foremost is how do you make sense? So can we try this? Is there something like, I don't know, scale of zero to 10, 10 being the most distressing, five middle. Do you have a four that we can talk through. Sarah didn't know I was going to ask this. Yeah, I'm like, so something that is distressing me at a level four. Yeah. Yes, sure. Okay, let me, I'm just, let me the many things of what's going on with Kyla. <laughs> I, fuck man, level four. I would say, okay, so yes. So my kids waking up before or just ignoring the green light clock is like really distressful for me because it's like getting my sleep. No one's listening to me. And I I just don't know what to do about it. How do you, what feelings show up about it? I, so most of the time I'm so myopic about it that I spin into my child won't listen to me about this. What is it going to be when I tell her that, no, she has to be home by 10 o'clock. Is she going to give me the finger and take the car and not come home until two in the morning? Okay. First of all, that makes total sense. Let's start from the premise that you make sense and let's take it back because the physiology of stress is that it narrows your attention. When you're in a, when you're under pressure, when you're under stress, what your body is going to do is decrease blood flow to like the empathetic, the problem solving, the critical parts of your brain. And it's going to go to, how do I make this better immediately? How do I make this better immediately? Such the point, like your immunity suppresses, your pain threshold decreases, like there's an anesthetic that runs through your body, right? So, so of course your thoughts start spinning and you're this high achiever performer. So they don't spin around. This is uncomfortable. I wonder what to do. They start to think into the future and to imagine how this is going to be awful and then further motivate you to try and solve it now as if you needed more motivation. Historically, that would be protective. Like when you needed to get the motivation to study for whatever grade nine math test, that was really great. But right now as a 37, 38 something (laughs) woman who just needs to go back to sleep, that high performance habitual reaction, while it makes sense, it's not helpful. So the first thing I do is I step back from the entire situation and go, it makes sense to me that your mind would go down that rabbit hole. Like that, I think mine would too. I think any person in your position, I'm imagining a lot of people listening were like, oh yeah, that example. I do that too. (laughs) I do that too. From that place of normalization, now, do you feel that? Do you feel like you make sense? Yep. Yeah. 
actually, because if yeah. you don't, I do. Like I do. I mentally, I know it makes sense. I know, and I also know I do it. And so I think like where I get stuck is that I don't stop doing that. I then will just rage in my bed. And then I have cortisol just like pumping through my body, just pumping. And then I finally get her back in her room. But yeah, I'm, I'm going back to sleep. So what was the whole point of even fighting with her? Why didn't I just get up with her and go to like, it's I then and then I'm like, you are the worst mother ever. Like you just got in this. And that's like, that's where it goes. It just, it goes to uh, deep quick. Because that's what it, as high performers, that existential, that's always motivating to us. It always is like the next thing because maybe just maybe in this like strange protective place, that part of you is if I chastise Sarah enough, maybe she won't lose it on Kyla next time. Like maybe next time she's going to remember how shitty this feels, part of my language, how bad this feels. And she's not going to go there. Yeah. And so really we have to recognize that your stress response is just your stress response. And then we need to help your body because you're in a stress response. You are having a physiological response and you cannot meet a feeling with a thought. Think of yourself as a toddler. Yeah. Like yeah. You cannot meet a feeling with a thought. You have to meet a feeling with a feeling. And here you are. There are like any number of practices. I think of two broad buckets. One is you can regulate your body. So if your physiology is on a 10 and the cortisol is shooting through, you want to find the practices that are going to switch your nervous system so that your sympathetic stress response can calm down and your parasympathetic can come take over. This is where every mental health kit says, take slow breaths, like <laughs> exhale longer. For me, sometimes that works. But when I'm worked up like that, I need to do something like push-ups and I am not strong. So three usually does it for me, but I need to do something where I am moving. From a regulation perspective, put your head down. You can do a couple sun salutations. You can do quick breaths. You can do, I have a ball on my desk. You can hear me, I pass it back and forth. And keep something like this in most of the rooms of my house because you need to give your body a chance to regulate. Rhythm that's regulating. So one of my favorite things at nighttime when the kids have just shot my cortisol up in the room <laughs> is to play a song with a good beat that's going to calm me down. Oh, that's a good one for me. I'm very... Try something that will calm... And like, and like a hot cup of tea, right? Doing something like a progressive muscle relaxation. So you can YouTube, it's where you tense and then relax. Different muscles in your body at a certain time. So what you want to do is if your physiology is really loud, you need to practice some flexibility calming your physiology down. Okay. That's one big bucket, right? And if you look up like Deb Dana has a ton of stuff on calming your nervous system or befriending your nervous system, it's great. The listeners who are interested in learning more about the physiology and what to do. There's also an excellent book by Emily and Amelia Nagowski called Burnout, where the whole first section is about completing your stress cycle. So you Mm -hmm. can learn your stress response cycle. So you can learn more about what that is and how it looks. But the key is you are not engaging with your thoughts right? You have a practice at this point of being like, I'm 10 out of 10 right now. And that's, I don't want to be. So I need to calm my body. I need to take care of my body. And remember, we're recognizing how your reaction makes sense. We're not judging it. We're not evaluating it. We're just like, whew, I do not want to be this pissed off right now. Here's what I have to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. The whole other bucket that I like to think of after recognize and regulate is relate. 
And these are for those times where you need to, like, it's for when your brain is, I'm the worst mom. I'm the worst person. I'm bad at my job. I don't know who I am. How did I get to this age and this stage? And I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't know what my values are. I'm so per- like When we are at that existential, vacuous, really terrifying, sometimes cruel, prickly place, that's when we need to practice momming ourselves. That's when we need to practice deep and profound care and kindness. And so what I like to do at this point is, can you think of the last time that maybe Levi, we haven't really spoken about Levi today, when Levi was like really upset about something and it was justifiable. Like he was super disappointed and he was really upset. Let's be honest. One of the hardest and most unexpected things about postpartum was feeding myself nutritious foods. Between trying to figure out my baby's sleep and feeding schedule, trying to keep the house in working order, trying to keep myself bathed and functioning, there was very little extra time to go grocery shopping or to do meal planning and go cook for myself and the family. Enter Home Chef. They have simple and delicious meals for every day of the week. You can choose between the oven-ready meals, which I highly recommend, especially in the early postpartum period, to ready in 15 minutes. The meals are healthy, easy to make, and make the cleanup process easy peasy lemon squeezy use the coupon code juna 115 to get 35 dollars off your first box 30 dollars off the second box 25 dollars off the third and fourth boxes trust me this will make your life 1 million times easier when you don't have to think about feeding yourself and your family once again go to homechef.com pick your meals and use the coupon code juna 115 to get 115 dollars off your first four boxes enjoy never justifiable oh, okay i'm like in like can i he this weekend he smashed his face on the floor and had a giant bloody nose and <laughs> it was very like that's justifiably yes. upset but like yes yeah yeah so that was like, like but how he got the nose is like a different totally <laughs> different story doing something he should have done but i didn't tell him that obviously he knows better he knows better you're yeah. practicing helping them learn their limits so when he's crying what are some of the things you said to him and what did you do? I held him in my arms and I just, I just kept saying, oh, my buddy, that must have hurt so badly. <laughs> and I just kept, yeah. and I just held him until his body was calm. When you say that, so first of all, that's profoundly regulating, right? Mm-hmm. Like you helped his body to calm down. And the way I heard you relate to him, I don't know, did you get a sense in your body about what that felt like? Yeah. Yes. Loose. loose. Did you say? Yeah. Like a loose sense or was it close? Could you tell what it felt like? No, I definitely can. It's interesting because I think like a lot of the like parenting scripts like as that I have that I use with the kids a lot. Like I think think about this because I'm relating it, but I, I say to Kyla a lot, you're a good kid having a hard time. And so I often say to myself, you're a good mom having a hard time. Yes. Often, yes. Often. Yeah. And I just slip it. I'm like, yeah, I like I do. I have to repeat it to myself because then I feel like I'm like, that is all that's happening. Like you're a good mom. Like you're in a hard moment. This is a hard moment. It doesn't mean that you're a bad mom. You're just a good mom having a hard time. And the reach, and this is sometimes where we're working with a professional or engaging is what you also want to do is find that feeling inside. Like you want to say those words as you feel 
the same care that you would give Levi just turned on yourself. Yeah. Because I think so, that's, that's really hard. It's hard. Yeah. It takes, but think about how that makes sense. No, our entire no. lives, what was okay was externalized. And so for you to just create within yourself an embodied sense of adequacy, of enoughness in the face of not getting it right, yeah. not being externally actually enough. Like I think about it in the context of women a lot with like social circumstances. Give me an example. I was recently approached to do a job for free. And you. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no. And it happens a lot. And there are some no. circumstances in which it makes sense. And there are some yeah. in which it doesn't. But for a lot of reasons, this didn't sit right with me. And I was actually offended. I was offended, if I'm being honest. And so I said no. And what I actually did was outpriced myself. I outpriced myself because it's a small community. And then someone that the organization came back to me and asked me again several months later to do the same thing for again free. for free. And recently, and I said no again, but I felt profoundly guilty. I feel guilty like I've done something wrong. And here to me is what I mean when I think about the context of women. I am socialized to make other people's lives easier, to say yes, to give without expecting a penny, a smile, like any, even just a thing. And that's not from my parents. That's not from my friends. That's just from existing at the one. This body in the world. And I couldn't, like all morning, I was like trying to put my finger on like, why do I feel if I've done something wrong? And I was like, oh, I said no. Mm -hmm. I said no. And so when I say I think about high performance in the context of these like identity intersections and spe specifically in the case of women, and this is especially unimaginably impossible for women of color or trans women or women with different abilities or atypically like atypical neurological women, we exist as we are and are reflected in the systems around us that we're not enough. It's not just in our accomplishments, it's in the air. And so to create a physiology, an embodied relationship where you are regulated and you can recognize when it's the system showing up and you are enough, that's a huge, like it's, like, it's really hard. It's a huge ask. And as high performers, what we tend to do is be like, why can't I do this? How come I haven't figured this out yet? Makes sense to me in my head. I know I have to make that change. How come I haven't made it yet? I don't know. Centuries of oppression, just like adding up. <laughs> like systems, time, energy, resources, you're limited. I think that this is a paradox and it's hard because it's hard and it's meta because even as we try to embody these things that if you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, Kara, like this makes so much sense because you get it in your head doesn't mean that it's easy to do. That even there's a roadmap to do. And the other part that makes it hard is you're the expert on you. So I have all these ideas about what could work, but I'm not you. And we can't externalize the process anymore. I can't be the one telling you what to do. That would just be repeating. 
Right. The whole process all over again. It's it's so interesting. I recorded a podcast yesterday with a woman who wrote the book, The End of Bias, which you might have read already, but I recommend you read it. She was talking about women, how girls by the age of six, they, by the age of six, they already will say no to games that they think you need to be smart to play. And so that's just like conditioning. And I'm like, yes, so interesting that it happens so early on. And it, it's not language that you're doing at home. Like it could be daycare saying, your dress looks so pretty. It's like things like she that gave a whole host of examples and you're just like, holy shit, man. But one of the things that I want to talk about, because I think that this is, it's so sad, but this is like setting boundaries mm. is this like new thing for women. Because I think that men have never had a problem saying no. Ever. Like, and it's totally, it's, I think there's a reason that women take up the bulk of the share of shit at home. There's a reason, and it's because we're uncomfortable setting boundaries, being like, you know what? I, I can't do that. I, like, I think about it in my role at home too. And I, like, I have a wonderfully supportive husband. He's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But there's, there, like, his, he's not here to facilitate to make my life easier. That's not how no, in this that, world. Not, <laughs> no, I see what you mean, but, but that is how, but that is how I operate. I'm like, yeah. oh, he, he needs the car. So I'm going to, whatever yeah. it is, I will yes. do the mental gymnastics to figure out how to make his life easier. And that is because I am a female and a woman that exists in this mm-hmm. world. But I, as focusing on our mental health is becoming a bigger thing, setting boundaries like in every aspect of your life is a practice that you need to start getting comfortable with. And I think to your point, when you were saying, what, what, why were you so uncomfortable? And it's because you had said no. Do you have like tip because sitting with that discomfort is not cool. I don't like sitting with it. I, (laughs) and I think like I'm getting better at it too, as Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. And so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. There's, so I have tips and there's a couple, there's a couple thoughts that came to my brain. The first is we're talking a lot and I want to be clear about men and women and making generalizations and stereotypes. We each, like every person comes into the world with more dominant and more subjugated selves. And I think performance and achievement is complicated by all of the intersections that we have in particular. And so I invite and encourage and also like humbly so ideas about this. I'm not asking for energy if you don't have it to give. So just know I'm mindful of it. And it's also just for the purpose of exploring. Like I really, I want to encourage and be a part of a community that can talk about complicated things and discuss nuance. And I just, I trust that's what we have here and that I'm constantly learning. When I think about sitting with this, so there's two things I actually heard. You were talking about boundaries. One was like sitting with discomfort and the other was how do we set boundaries? And I want to talk about sitting with discomfort in a minute because there's actually, I think, a more insidious, important question we have to ask before we can even begin to set a boundary, which was where do I begin and end? What is my limit? And in a world where people are externalizing what matters to them, they actually don't know what their limits are because their limits are whatever someone else's need is traditionally. So give me an example, like a concrete example of that. So think about, I think a lot about high performing professional 
who is burnt out because they just say yes all the time and they have young kids at home and it doesn't matter. They will be on email while they are holding a baby in one hand and stirring dinner in the other hand and taking a call. And they know they can't, they know they're not doing any of it, but actually they are. And for a really long time, they were able to do it. And then the pandemic happened and like they lost their village. I think of also the people whose calendars are so full of things they hate. I think also of the people who wake up and go, I don't even know that I like anything that's about to happen today. But I don't know that I don't like it. It's not always a negative experience. Sometimes you're just not oriented. And how I like to start there is very simple. So first, I, I encourage you always, you're the expert on you. This is a great place to start working with a professional, a coach, a therapist, friends in a reflective kind of way. Start by identifying preferences and we don't have to go deep. Sarah, do you like tea or coffee? Um, I like coffee in the morning. And How, do you know? <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> it took me a know? long time. I found and eventually got ended up with the coffee that I like because I don't like coffee that much, but now I make it in a very specific <laughs> way. And that is how I know. Lots of trial right? and error. And in your body, when mm -hmm. you drink the coffee you like? Oh, I feel so much better. There's a visceral sense. So do you like winter or summer? She says to the person who lives in the constantly summer climate. <laughs> I know. I And that's why I'm moving. I like variety in seasons. I like fall the best before. So we can start, like, ask yourself a ton of very mundane questions. Do you like, what desserts do you like? What climates do you like? What temperatures? What clothes? What colors? Like there are going, there's going to be something that you have an opinion on that is just yours. And then I encourage you, and this is a bit, it's a bit strange, but think about how in your body, does it feel like clicks and gears that just get into place? For me, I know it's, it feels like something in my head is congruent with something in my chest. Like they're not at odds. They're just getting along, right? Or my shoulders kind of drop. I'm not wearing them as earrings. When something's not right, they start to creep up and it starts to feel tense. My jaw gets tense. So start to pay attention to those smaller things. And then you can build up to looking day to day at your life. Like start taking inventory and gathering data. Which people energize you? Which people deplete you? What type of content gets you excited and what doesn't? And I need to be careful because we're not talking about designing a perfect life or building an amazing, passionate, follow your dream. Like it's, that's a lot of pressure. We are literally just trying to determine who you are in the world and what matters to you. There's an excellent exercise in Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, around finding your values. So I recommend if like boundaries, and we're going to get to the boundaries now and the discomfort. First, you have to know who you are. Like I was able to recognize in myself, I don't know what this is, about this opportunity, but it's not me. It's not mine. That's how I was, I was able to say, and now I need to say no, right? And now I need to say no. When it comes to, but by the way, I'm just, I'm yeah. interrupting really quickly because you said you knew in your body, something's not right. This isn't for me. Comfortable with saying no, but then you still had discomfort and guilt associated with it. And so that's where I'm like, 
God, is there any hope? You're a professional at this. <laughs> You're still feeling guilty with saying no to a free, you know, like, what? anyway, I, that's just totally. My... So I think, so the way I sit with it also is like, you can feel like the, there's multiple parts of me. There's more multiplicities. And so part of me was like, hell no, absolutely not. I will not be told <laughs> I have value in this world. And another part of me was like, oh, are they going to like me still? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, so sitting with the discomfort is actually sometimes a matter of going to that regulating and relating and noticing the part of me that's been socialized in this way and saying, hey, like, I know that this is hard. This is not what we're used to doing. And you're just more valuable than this. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then I feel okay. okay. And the other thing is, so noticing the parts of you, there's a, you can look up feeling wheel. I like to do this. And it gives you all of these different feelings. And it can help me sometimes parse out which parts of me are kicked up right now? Mm. And sometimes I get super psychotherapist and I say, how old does that feel? Mm. Like the part of me that feels guilty, she's 12. And you know what? A 12-year-old isn't running this 38-year-old life. Due respect to her care. Due respect <laughs> to young Kara for really wanting to belong and get along. She is not driving this car though. So we can be adult about it. And the other thing you'll notice is I didn't make anything up about feeling guilty. I just noticed it was there. Huh. Okay. 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 So the other thing is, so there's a couple of things with sitting with discomfort that we've just said. You can identify the parts. You can calm the parts. Don't evaluate or judge. Be curious about them. And the other thing is being a high achiever, our strongest muscle, the one that we reach for first, quickest default that feels most natural is make it go away. Get it done. Fix it. Mm -hmm. And it's like urgent and it gets louder. So another muscle we have to build is sitting on our hands, <laughs> biting our tongue. Like I have started the practice. I think I told it in our last monthly, sorry, I started the practice of like, whenever I notice myself with the script in my head, you have to do this, you have to do this or refreshing. I actually like physically do not allow myself to do it now. Mm. Like I, like if I'm an email and I'm like, I just have to get through these emails. I'm like, and I get up and I'm like punishing. You're not allowed to do this email for five minutes. This feeling has to go away because nothing is that important. I am not that important. And what's challenging. So I'm my own boss. So if I don't respond to an email, not the best, but really not the worst. I, if I, so I remember being a lawyer and showering and getting yelled at because I didn't respond to an email. So What's really challenging about what I'm proposing is the context around us is not built for slow. It's yeah. built for productivity and efficiency. And it will require of you to constantly engage with the world and navigate with those like younger parts. Like that, that's what the world is going to call forward. And we have to be willing to notice like, ooh, I'm feeling really urgent about this. Is this me or is this them? And even if we just say this is them and this one time I'm going to do it or this time I'm going to do it, that's different than just needlessly feeling the compulsion to fix it. Like it comes back to recognizing that we make sense again and again in these profound and complicated and challenging and really human ways. Yeah. You got yeah. to sit on your hands. You gotta yeah. be perfect. You gotta stop fixing it. It's interesting because I, again, I'm gonna have to draw this parallel back to motherhood, but I think about when I get 
dysregulated. Like the two times a day where I'm like the most dysregulated is in the morning shift from six to eight a.m. and from five thirty to eight p.m. and like the morning and the evening shift. And I think about why I get dysregulated. And it's because I have three young kids and all they do is bark requests at me for two and a half hours. And usually it's not one after the other, it's four at a time. And I'm trying to get everything going. And I think about this, like sitting on my hands, like when Kyla's yelling at me for whatever toast she wants with peanut butter, but then not peanut butter. And then she did want peanut butter, but she didn't want banana, but then put the banana on it because all that. And I think about how can I sit on my hands and not, yeah, then where it's like, I actually think like that I would also be teaching them something too. Yeah, that's a complicated. So here are my instincts and I'm curious what you think. When you respond, when Kyla's doing it, is it what part of you? Is it the make it stop part that's doing it? Or is it that my daughter needs to eat part? Which parts are showing up? I would say both. Like they're both. It's the, I, you, as a mom, you need to feed your daughter from time to time. That's time. And, and she's hungry. It's breakfast. Your other son is yelling because he's, he wants his water and it needs to be mm-hmm. ice cold. And, and I want to make it all stop, but I also want to do the job well. And so if Kyla wants toast with peanut butter and banana with honey and Luca wants pancake pancakes then here this is just the journey I'm on this morning and I'm gonna make it go away by doing it all you're gonna make it better and you're gonna succeed so let me ask you this how does it feel when you're in that place awful absolutely awful but I will say and this is even this is even worse and I'm interested in your perspective on this when they are appreciative And I like, and when I say appreciative, I just mean my kids have eaten their breakfast. (laughs) That's it. Like they've eaten their breakfast and they haven't thrown it on the floor or thrown it back at me or thrown a tantrum because it was wrong. Mm. I feel like a good mom and that I can get going on with my day because we minimized the chaos that Mm. was happening in the morning. And it, it makes me, it validates me. Because they ate their food. So when you, like, so as you and I are talking, if you float outside yourself and look at the experience of, like, you navigating what feels like, in some ways, an impossible situation, what do you notice about yourself? What are you proud of? So I am, I, like, I, no matter how, like, how nuts they make me and no matter how much I will bitch about it here and talk to Ben about my friends in those moments. I am like calm. I am steady. I am always empathetic. Like I'm like (laughs) calm about these things. And I'm like really hard to stay cool. Like when my body is literally town wants to jump out of my skin. And I know that sounds awful. And I'm a little embarrassed that I'm even saying this on the podcast, but I Sometimes my, my, my skin is crawling in those moments in a way that I just want to leave the house because I'm so crazed in my head at how ridiculous these, this is where I'm at in my life. Yet, I don't feel like I'm like, I'm not showing that to them. I'm not showing. Yeah. Like what I hear deeper, is there a part of, there's a part of you that is so dysregulated and like upset in the experience 
and feel demanded upon and put upon like you just want to flight and get away. And yet your commitment to modeling care, to showing up with yeah. presence, to being calm, to showing up as regulated as you can wins. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I will say it's interesting though, because, and I don't know if this was something you and I had talked about, but, but there's something like, cause I feel like there's no matter how calm I am with Kyla, she's picking up on some okay. vibration. It was yeah. us. Like there's a vibration there that she's mm-hmm. picking up on where mm-hmm. she's mommy's playing cool, but she is not cool right now. And I feel that. And so even though uh, I think I'm doing it right, I don't know that I am. And I think that also, so, but that's, <laughs> I think that's even like the language there was so helpful. Like, right. As if there's one way to handle it, as if there's one correct, this is what good mothering would be. Because what I hear is in every instance, you make sense. First of all, nobody likes the like <laughs> banana, peanut butter, banana, no pants, like thing. And Kyla in particular, like you can't play with her. She knows when your skin is jumping and when your skin is jumping and you can't pretend enough like it isn't, it's like really coming at your nervous system again and again. And what I hear you saying to me is something like, I, I can't disengage completely, not because I'm trying to perform at a high level, but because on some, like my kids need to eat. But what I also hear you saying is I'm trying my best. And I wonder if, as you are moving through the experience, you can, amidst your very full brain, hold on to that commitment closer than you're holding on to modeling a certain thing or calming your body down. Let the part of you that is strong enough to keep trying. And I wonder if that naturally slows it down a little. Yes, I will report back. I'm going to. Please. What's your gut? What's my gut with that? Yeah. My gut is that it's, I'm interested in if I can hold on to that, if that would regulate me more. Because um, I am no, I am, I definitely say a lot to my kids. Mommy needs to take a deep breath because I need to calm my body down. <laughs> yeah. And it's, so what's interesting is that gets to be so because what all of this amounts to what is enough? Am I enough? Am I being a good enough mom? Am I handling it enough? And like, we are so trained to see the ways we're inadequate and to grow that we don't have this muscle of relating to our profound competencies. You are one of the most perseverant, enduring moms I know. People I know. (laughs) You are. You have endurance. It's a trite example, but we ran a half marathon together and I was laid up and I could not walk for Brahman. And you were like, should we walk across town and go to a beach to do this? And I'm not just talking about your fitness. Like you have a perseverance and a vitality and an energy. And when you are in that moment, you are myopically seeing the ways that your children are barking at you and your body dysregulated and how you are not enough for the moment, as opposed to really floating outside and noticing how beautifully you keep trying. Because it's been five years of waking up trying, my friend. Yeah, no, it's, and it's interesting because I, and now I'll draw it back to being a high performer too professionally. But I think as I'm talking this out, I'm like, oh, I do the exact same thing with my business too. I think in general, it's, it is so easy to see where we're not, where we're not stacking up. 
And, and what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yes. But it's, yes. The only way to improve in my mind, and this goes back to childhood stuff, like, and going back to the very beginning of the conversation, but the only way to be better is to know what you're not good at. And so you're keenly adept at being like, these are the things you need to improve on. And so you're only looking at the things you need to improve on to be the best. And so who needs to acknowledge the things you're already good at? And I think that has been such a practice in my life, like starting with athletics, mm -hmm. then into getting yeah. academics, all of that stuff, like it has very much been, let's focus on the things you're not good at and we're going to get really good at them. And instead of celebrating anything that I am good at, because who the fuck cares what I'm good at, right? Excuse my language, sorry, people. But like, who cares what you're good at when, when, and like now, when you think about that mentality and how insidious that is in all of us, because now we can't even recognize our strengths and celebrate our strengths in any way. This has been like a therapy session for me. I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. I haven't thought about this at all at any point. Like, but it's so, like the association is really spot on. Like, how are we taught to develop? We get areas of opportunity. And now more, at least professionally, there are strengths. But that's not where we spend the bulk of our conversation. And if anyone can think of a really good boss, chances are they focused you on where you show, where you shined. Yeah. Sean, I don't know the word. Yeah. I would say where you were right. They yeah. saw your brightness and they amplified it and they gave you opportunities to grow it. And they were like, and by the way, that one thing. And you were like, totally, I get it. Right. And why not with us? In some contexts, it's they say your own cheerleader. But I don't think that cuts it. I don't want to like this boom by myself. I want to be in the middle of like your kitchen, like next to you being like, God, you're such a great mom. These kids are being so difficult right now. And I love how you're going to do the banana pan, <laughs> even though it's going to be so messy. And I love that choice for you. Get it, Sarah. <laughs> and I want to do that for everyone. And like more than that, I want you to be able to do it for you because the next time you're in that kitchen and the world is spinning around you, the only way to slow it down is to know you're good enough, period. Whether they eat them, whether they don't, whether they throw them across the room, whether you burn them, it's the only way. And it can't be a thought in your head. It's got to be in your body. And the only way I know how to get it in people's bodies is to start imagining the care that we give to other people, that we give to our children, that we put in the world and saying, gosh, I wonder, have you ever wondered? And this is a long, have you ever wondered what it feels like to be loved by you? I think it's pretty great. <laughs> and someone who is loved by you, it is warm and unconditional and inspiring and there's like space to try anything with you. And I'm like, but like, you should feel this. Yeah. No, I that... highly recommend it. <laughs> and there's, I'm not saying anything new. People have been talking about love yourself for a long time. What does it feel like to be enough? Really, in a world where we are taught from the moment we arise that we need to do what other people tell us. And what are the implications of that of parenting? And blah, blah, blah. And then we spin and spin. Like, what if instead we could just sit in our confidence, recognize how we make sense, work on regulating our physiology, and start to put the pieces together?
where in this very adult way, no matter what's going on around us, we can understand the parts of ourselves that are showing up and take care of them. I want to be that like 90 year old woman that's like, oh, yeah, that's happening. Good. Yeah, I'm going to take care of my community. I'm going to take care of the globe as best I can. Here's my part in it. Here isn't my part in it. And I'm not losing sleep over that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good practice because I think what I think like what the result of if you don't do that is what's like currently happening now, like the high stress, high anxiety, terrible mental health outcome. Like we're just and I don't think it's I don't think it's going to get any better without doing the work. Yeah. And what's so tricky is like you're you know what you have to do, but like also you don't. And what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is this has been I got I just love I love having you on the podcast. I'm so honored to be here. I'm really grateful to anyone that ever listens to us ever. I know. Like, I know. What a humbling experience. <laughs> Whoever you are, thank you. That's I know. Oh, if you stuck around with us this long, I hope that you got, I hope you get some value out of this because I think it's as a mother, as a professional, whether you're both, whether you're one or the other, I think there's so many good tips and tools that, that we've talked about here. And please reach out and let us know what your thoughts are. Kara, anything else you want to add? I really just want to reiterate, I think that this is hard because it's hard. And however you're approaching this, wherever you're approaching this, ask yourself, what does it mean to make sense? Because I, I believe you make sense. And I've, <laughs> it might seem strange to say that because I've never met you, but like fundamentally, all I do is talk to people and listen to people. And I have not met a single person who in their context, in their life, from their experience, doesn't make sense. And we can separate being accountable from being broken. And so be willing to take steps to make yourself feel enough because you're definitely, you are enough. Yep. Yes. On that note, thank you so much for coming Thanks on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Let us know what you think. Yes. Send us some feedback. 